Freddy the Pig, Two and Again, Chapter 16 Alice did not sleep very well that night. She had a stomachache, and she had a stomachache because she had eaten two chocolates, a caramel and a whorehound drop that Robert had given her out of a bag of candy that he had found by the roadside. Robert had offered Emma some too, but she had very sensibly refused it. Candy doesn't agree with ducks. So, as she couldn't sleep, no matter how hard she tried, Alice got up before daylight and went out into the woods. The cool morning air made her feel sleepy, so she thought she would try again, and found a shelter under a big pine. She tucked her head under her wing and dozed off. When she woke up, the sun was shining, and the swallows were pouring like smoke out of the chimney in search of their breakfast. Alice called to one of them and asked him about the burglars. "'They've been here about a month,' said the swallow. "'They go out every night and rob the farmers' houses, "'and then come back and sleep all day. "'They usually get back about this time every morning, "'so you animals had better look out.' "'I don't think that they'll be back this morning,' said Alice. "'But tell me, did they dig up the gold we found when we were here before?' "'No,' said the swallow. "'They haven't touched it.' "'Thank you,' said Alice. "'That was all I wanted to know. Good morning.' And she hurried back to tell the others that their treasure was safe. But when she got back to the house, she stopped in amazement on the threshold. Her sister Emma was waddling importantly up and down with a bracelet set with big blue sapphires round her neck and a beautiful bag, all made of little links of pure gold tucked under her wing. The four mice with diamond rings round their necks, like collars, were playing tag in a corner. They sparkled and glittered like little streaks of fire as they chased one another. Henrietta looked very queenly with a hoop of rubies set on her head like a crown. She was bending down and trying to see herself in a little mirror set in the cover of a powder box, which she had snapped open with her claw. But Mrs. Wiggins was the most gorgeous of all. There was a rope of pearls about her big neck and a platinum wrist watch on her left ankle. She had hung an emerald necklace on each horn, and they hung down and bobbed and dangled beside her broad, pleasant face like enormous earrings. And she had powdered her wide black nose until it was as white as flour. She looked truly reckless. Alice, after a moment's astonishment, entered the farm. She found a thin gold chain with a diamond and pearl locket, which she hung round her neck, and then she went over to where Henrietta was still admiring herself in the powder box cover and asked if she might have some powder for her bill. "'There isn't any left,' said Henrietta. "'I'm sorry, Alice,' said Mrs. Wiggins. "'I'm afraid I used it all up.' "'There's so much of me to powder, you know. "'I do wish I could see myself, though, I must say, "'I don't believe I have improved my appearance much. "'I must look like an overdressed washwoman. "'You can't do much with a cow,' she added sadly. "'Then Robert and Jack played a game. "'Each took six bracelets, and Mrs. Wiggins stood perfectly still, "'and they tried to throw them over her horns.' 
but they weren't very good at it. And after Mrs. Wiggins had been hit in her nose several times, she said she guessed she wouldn't play any more, as they were knocking all the powder off. Then Henrietta said, What are we going to do with all this jewelry? We ought to give it back to the people that was stolen from, said Hank. All very fine, said Henrietta, but how do you propose to do that? Hank said that he didn't exactly know, so they talked it over for a while, and at last hit upon a plan, and after breakfast they loaded all the stolen things into the carriage and started out for the nearest farmhouse. When they got there, there was nobody in sight, but Jack and Robert barked until at last a woman came to the door to see what the matter was. She was a large, fat woman and looked quite a lot like Mrs. Wiggins. She was wiping soap suds off her hands and her apron because she had been washing her husband's other shirt. Land sakes alive, she exclaimed when she saw the animals all grouped about the carriage. What is this, a circus? It took quite a long time for the dogs to make her understand that they wanted her to do. They ran back and forth between her and the carriage and at last she followed them. When she saw the heap of money and jewelry, she gave a loud cry and seized the hoop of rubies that Henrietta had worn on her head. Land of love, she cried. Here's the ring that Cousin Eunice gave me last Christmas, the one the burglars stole when they broke into our house last month. And here's the emerald necklace I won at a prize at the Pedro Club last winter. There's Hiram's gold cigarette case. She ran to the corner of the house. Hiram, Hiram, she called, come here this minute. So pretty soon Hiram, her husband, came from where he had been resting up in the hayloft, and he found twenty dollars beside the cigarette case that the burglars had taken from him. Now how do you suppose these animals got these things, he said. Do you suppose they found the place where the burglars hid them? I don't know about that, said his wife. But I do know that they brought them here so we could pick out what belongs to us. Such good, clever animals. I'm giving kisses to every one of you. Which she did, even the mice, who were scared to death. She looked very funny after she kissed Mrs. Wiggins, because a lot of powder came off of her face. Now, she said, I'm going to go over to Aunt Etta's with these animals because I saw her gold soup tureen among these things. And she climbed into the phaeton and they started off while Hiram went back to do some more resting in the hayloft. Aunt Etta was an educated woman. Every evening she sat on the porch and read the newspaper until it got so dark she couldn't see. And then she went in and lighted the lamp and lift and finished reading it. So when she had taken her soup tureen and one or two other things that the burglars had stolen, she said, I know who these animals are. I saw a piece in the paper about them last week. They're migrating. They came from way up north and went to Florida for the winter. They're very clever animals indeed. I expect they're on their way home now as it's spring. Well, said her niece, they won't get home until fall at this rate. They'll have to visit about a hundred farms to get all this stuff back to the people it belongs to.
It's too bad they can't find a quicker way. A lot of the things have been advertised for in the paper, said Aunt Etta. How would it be if we put an advertisement in saying that all the things were here and the people could come here and get them? Then the animals wouldn't have to traipse all over the country and they could go on home in a day or two. Denise thought this was a good idea, and the animals looked at one another and nodded, and so Robert barked very loudly to show that they thought it was a good idea, too. Then Aunt Etna got up. "'I'll go in and telephone the newspaper office right away,' she said, "'and have the advertisement put in tonight, and then we'll give these animals something to eat and place to be comfortable. They must be tired having come such a long way.' So she telephoned the newspaper office, and she went out into the barn and got some oats for Hank, and showed Alice and Emma where the duck pond was, and introduced them to her own ducks, and she found two bones for the dogs, and a piece of cheese for the mice, and a saucer of cream for Jinx, and she cooked up some cornmeal mash for Charles and Henrietta, and led Mrs. Wiggins out into the pasture where there was very superior quality of grass. If she had noticed Mr. and Mrs. Webb, she would probably have tried to catch some flies for them, for she was such a kind and generous old lady, and so grateful for the return of her gold soup tureen. Then, when the animals had all been given the things they liked best to eat, she sat down on the porch and told her niece everything she had read in the paper for the last six weeks. Chapter 17. So for two days the animals stayed at Aunt Etna's, who, as Mrs. Wiggins said, was kindness itself. They sat on the front porch with her while she read the paper, and they ate the good things she prepared for them. A good many of the animals in the neighborhood who had heard about them came to call and to ask about their travels, and as they were so many who were interested in their adventures, Charles very kindly consented to give a lecture in the big barn on the second evening. The name of the lecture was A Trip to the Sunny South, and it was a great success. Then on the third day, all the animals and their wives from far and near, who had had things stolen by the burglars, gathered in Aunt Etna's parlor, because that was the day the advertisement in the paper had told them to come, to get their things back. All the jewelry and money and watches and silverware were tastefully arranged on little tables covered with white doilies, and all the farmers had to do was to pick out the things that belonged to them. And when they had all got their property back, they made a great fuss over the animals, and one nice old lady whose name was Mrs. Trigg, and who owned the rope of pearls that Mrs. Wiggins had dressed up in, said, I wish there was something we could do for these good kind animals to show them how much we appreciate what they have done for us. The farmers and their wives all clapped their hands and cheered at this and made more of a fuss over the animals than ever, but no one could think of any way to reward them. Then Robert had an idea, and he went up to Mrs. Trigg and barked three times. I do believe that the dog understands what you said, said Etna. Just see the way she looks at you. Then Robert ran a little ways towards the kitchen and stopped and looked back. So Etna 
and Mrs. Trigg followed him, and he went straight to the shelf in the kitchen and stood on his hind legs and put his forepaws on the edge of it and looked over his shoulder at them and barked again. There were a number of things on the shelf. There was a photograph of Aunt Etna and a photograph of her married daughter who lived in Rochester and a spool of black darning cotton and an alarm clock and a butcher bill and a picture postcard of Niagara Falls and seven beans and a box of matches and quite a lot of dust. The dust was there because Aunt Etna, although she was a kind-hearted woman, wasn't a very good housekeeper. She spent too much time reading the newspaper. Now, what do you suppose he wants up there? asked Mrs. Trigg. Why, I do believe, said Aunt Etna, I think she blushed a little. I do believe he wants that picture of me. And she took the picture down and gave it to Robert. Of course, the picture wasn't what Robert wanted at all, but he was too polite to let her know it. And he thanked her by wagging his tail and smiling the way dogs do. And then he put his forepaws on the shelf and barked again. He wants something else too, said Mrs. Trigg. Now what can it be? And she began touching all the things on the shelf, looking at Robert. And when she touched the alarm clock, he barked very loud. So she knew that it was what he wanted. So Aunt Etna gave him the clock, and he carried it and the picture out on the porch and showed them to the other animals. Now, he said, We've got an alarm clock for Mr. Bean, Charles. You won't have to get up early in the morning any more when we get back. And Charles was very much pleased. It was getting along towards supper time by now, and all the farmers were climbing into their buggies and automobiles and driving away. They were happy to have recovered their valuables, and when everybody started to sing, they all joined in. Many of them sang part songs all the way home. It was very inspiring. Soon there was nobody left on the porch but Aunt Etna and her niece and Mrs. Trigg, and a stout lady who lived across the road and whose name was Mrs. Hackenboot. It does seem to me, said Aunt Etna, that a photograph and an alarm clock are a very small reward to give these animals for bringing back our things. It isn't very much, agreed her niece, but I can't think of anything else, can you? I can think of something, said Mrs. Hackenboot, suddenly. We could help them get all that dreadful paint off. I've been watching that cat, and he's been licking himself for an hour. He wants to get it off. Now, if we could give them some scrubbing. That might do it, said Aunt Edna. I always say that things, that there's nothing that good hot suds won't take out. Now, if there's anything a cat hates more than cold water, it's hot water. And so Jinx immediately crawled under the porch and stayed there. Hank and Mrs. Wiggins would have liked to crawl under too, but of course they were too large. As for Robert and Freddie, they thought it was undignified to run away. So they sat nobly on the porch and waited until the woman heated water in the wash boiler and brought it out to them. Then Mrs. Hackenboot 
and Aunt Etna's niece rolled up their sleeves and set to work with scrubbing brushes. They scrubbed and scrubbed, and pretty soon the thick paint began to loosen its hold on the animal's skins and peel off. This isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, said Mrs. Wiggins. It's fine, said Hank. I used to wonder why Mr. Bean took a bath every Saturday night, but I know now why he likes it so much. When they had got off as much paint as they could, the woman led the animals round to the pump and rinsed them off with buckets of cool well water. But Jinx didn't come out until it was all over, and then he took great care to keep out of sight. They stayed at Aunt Etna's house that night and would have liked to stay longer, but they knew that Mr. Bean needed them and thought they ought to start along. They hurried back to the log house in the woods and dug up the gold and put it in the phaeton. Now, said Freddy, our adventures are over. Soon we'll be back in our own comfortable home again, and I, for one, shall be glad to be there. Yes, said Mrs. Wiggins, our adventures are over for this year at least. But she was wrong, for the most exciting adventure of all was laying in wait for them up the long homeward road. Chapter 18 Nothing much happened, however, for the next few days. They plodded along the road, doing a steady twenty-five miles a day, for they were used to it now and could go much longer without getting tired than when they had first set out. Most of the people they met had heard about them by this time, and although they attracted a good deal of attention, nobody molested them. The heap of gold coins lay in the bottom of the phaeton, but they had covered it up with an old shawl, so no one knew anything about it. At last, one morning, they came to a bridge where the animals had found Mr. and Mrs. Webb again after they had fallen into the river. The two spiders were much excited, and Mrs. Webb ran up to the tip of Mrs. Wiggins' left horn, and Mr. Webb ran up to the tip of her right horn, and they sat there and looked out across the landscape and shouted to each other, Oh, do you remember this? And, Oh, do you remember that? Until Mrs. Webb was so overcome by the recollection of their strange adventure that she burst into tears, and then Mr. Webb climbed hurriedly down from Mrs. Wiggins' right horn and climbed up to her left horn and patted his wife clumsily on the back with one of his eight feet, which he could also use as hands, and said, "'There, there, Emmeline, don't cry.' And Mrs. Webb wiped her eyes with a tiny pocket handkerchief which she had woven herself and stopped crying. The animals went on across the bridge and through the village, and when they were out in the country again, Jack said, I think, if nobody minds, I'd better ride in the carriage for a while. We're getting near to where I used to live, and I don't want the man I used to live with to see me. It might cause trouble. Mrs. Wiggins gave a chuckle. I have to laugh every time I think of that man and the way he bounced like a rubber ball on the top of his automobile when I tossed him up there. He was an awful coward. Yes, said Jack, as he climbed into the phaeton and crouched down under the shawl. But just the same, I think we'd better hurry along. 
He has a bad disposition, and he would make a lot of trouble for us. He would get even with us for one thing. We mustn't take any chances with all this money, said Henrietta. So they hurried along, and pretty soon they passed the road which led up to the farm where the men with black mustaches lived, and then a little later they passed the swimming hole in the river where Mrs. Wiggins had fallen in. We ought to be pretty safe now, said Jack, because he doesn't often come up this way in his automobile. But I'll stay in here for a while, just the same. In another mile or two, the road which had been running across a valley began to climb a long hill. It was getting along into the afternoon now, and as the animals had been walking fast, they were hot and dusty, so they were all glad when they came to a stream that crossed the road part way up the hill. They decided to take a swim. I remember this place, said Robert. We stopped here to take a swim the day we started out, just before we met the man with the black mustache the first time. Yes, yes, we did, exclaimed the other animals. Why, we're almost home. If we go on now, we can get back to Mr. Beans before midnight. Some of them were all for going on at once when they realized how close they were to home. But Charles said, We don't want to get there at night. When Mr. and Mrs. Bean and all the other animals are asleep, that won't be any fun. And Freddie said, We'll be so tired when we get there that we won't want to tell them about our travels, and they'll be so sleepy they won't want to hear about them. I vote we camp here all night and go on in the morning. We'll get home about dinner time. That sounds sensible, said Hank. We've come a long way today. If you ask me, I'd, I've had enough. It's all right for you other animals, but I have to pull this carriage, and all that gold is heavier than Mr. and Mrs. Bean put together. So they pulled the carriage under a tree, and pretty soon they were all splashing about in the water, which was pretty cold, for it was still early in the spring. But animals, with the exception of cats, do not mind cold water much, as some people do. Now they were so near home and so sure that nothing could interfere with their getting there that they did not keep a very good watch while they were in swimming, and they did not see a pair of sharp eyes that were watching them from the bushes, nor hear the rustle of leaves as they brushed parted and the dirty-faced boy, who was the son of the man with the black mustache, sneaked over to the carriage and lifted a corner of the shawl that covered the heap of gold coins, peeked under it. When they came back out of the water and ran up and down the bank to dry themselves, the boy had gone. They did not sit up very late that night, for they were all pretty tired. But they went to bed, Robert and Charles and Jack, wound and sat and set the alarm clock. They had done this every night since Aunt Etna had given it to them, and this is the way they did it. Jack held the clock in his mouth, and Robert took hold of the winder with his teeth, and they twisted. Sometimes it took them half an hour to do it, but they always did it. And when the clock part was wound up, they wound the alarm. But the thing they set the alarm with 
to make it go off at a certain time in the morning was so small that neither Robert nor Jack could get hold of it properly, and so when they had got it all wound, Charles would take hold of the thing with his beak and set it for whatever time they wanted to get up. This time they set it for five o'clock, because they wanted to get an early start. They all took turns standing watch over the gold at night, and tonight it was Charles and Henrietta's turn. The other animals had found a warm, comfortable place to sleep under the little bridge beside the stream, and when all the good nights had been said, the rooster and his wife made a final round of the camp to see that all was in order, and then flew up into the phaeton perched on the back of the front seat and tucked their heads under their wings. They had not been asleep long when it began to rain. It rained gently at first, and Charles half-awakened, moved about a little in his perch, and then dropped off again, lulled by the monotonous patter of the umbrella-like roof of the carriage. But the patter grew to a rattle, and then to a roar, and he awoke again, to find his feathers getting wetter and wetter, and Henrietta tapped him crossly on the shoulder with her beak. "'Come, come, Charles, wake up!' she was saying. "'We'll get wet and catch our deaths, very likely.' "'This will never do,' said Charles. "'We can't stay here. "'I think, my dear, we had better join the others under the bridge.' "'I think we had better do nothing of the kind,' said Henrietta crossly. "'We are here to watch the gold.' And here we stay. We can get down under the shawl in the back seat and keep dry. Come along. But the mice are sleeping here tonight, Charles protested, and you know how Eenie snores. I couldn't sleep a wink. But Henrietta was not listening. She had jumped down into the back seat, and Charles followed her, repeating, I shan't sleep a week, not a wink. But once they had got under the shawl, where it was dry and warm, and had pushed the sleepy mice over to make room, he had fallen asleep again in great promptness. It is true that Eenie snored, although it was not a very loud snore, for Eenie was a very small mouse. And then Cousin Augustus had the nightmare and dreamt that four tortoiseshell cats with red eyes were chasing him, baying like bloodhounds in Uncle Tom's cabin which he had once seen when he had been on a visit to his aunt, who lived in the town at Joy Center, near Mr. Bean's farm. Cousin Augustus squeaked dreadfully when he had the nightmare, which was as often as he ate too much supper, and that was as often as he could, and he jerked his legs and moaned and lashed his tail so that Eakin Quick and Eenie had to get up and shake him awake. But even through all this, Charles would have slept peacefully on if Henrietta had not pecked him on the neck and said, Charles, wake up. You'll have to do something about these mice. Keep it up all hours. I never heard such racket. They don't seem to have any regard for anyone. So Charles took his head out from under his wing. He couldn't see anything because he was under the shawl. But he could hear Cousin Augustus waking up and then saying, Oh dear, oh dear, such a dream, such a dream. Hear, hear, said Charles sleepily and trying to be stern. What's all this? 
Do be still, can't you? Other people want to sleep if you don't. Cousin Augustus had a nightmare, said Eek. It's all over now. Charles was satisfied with this and would have put his head back under his wing, but Henrietta pecked him again. So he said gruffly, Well, we can't have that. Do you understand? We can't have it. We cannot have our rest broken in this way. I think you mice had better go and sleep somewhere else. As you don't seem able to do it quietly like other animals. The mice were a little afraid of Charles because he was so grand and talked so beautifully and strutted about the barnyard so nobly, and so they did not give him any back talk, but climbed down meekly out of the carriage and went to join the other animals under the bridge. Well, for once you had the gumption to stand up to somebody, even if it was only a mouse, said Henrietta, but Charles did not hear her, for he was again fast asleep. There was now no sound under the shawl but the ticking of the alarm clock and Charles' gentle breathing, and so Henrietta went to sleep too. When she awoke again, it was still dark. For a few minutes she could not tell what it was that had roused her. Then she heard a faint creak, and the carriage gave a lurch to one side. It was moving. Something or somebody was drawing the carriage down the road. She pecked Charles sharply, and he awoke with a groan. Oh, my goodness, Henrietta. What is it now? Can't you let me alone? Hush, she whispered. Don't you feel the carriage moving? Someone is running away with it. Someone is stealing the gold. Charles was very wide awake in an instant. He poked his head out from underneath the shawl and looked about him. Two shadowy forms, men they looked like, though they might be animals, were pulling the carriage down the hill, and they must have pulled it some distance from where Hank had left it, for the bridge was nowhere in sight. This comes of not keeping watch, whispered Henrietta, who had poked her head out beside him. If you hadn't crawled under this shawl, you'd have been able to hear what was going on. You crawled under too, said Charles. You're just as much to blame as me. But what shall we do, even if I crow my loudest? They'll never hear me with the rain coming down the way it is. One of us must jump out and run back and give the alarm, said Henrietta, and the other must stay here and find out where the carriage is being taken. You'd better go, Charles. I'll stay. Charles was too scared to complain at being ordered to get out in the heavy rain. The only thing he wanted was to get away from that carriage as quickly as possible, and being scared, he did what a scared rooster always does. He gave a loud squawk, and then he made a wild jump for the road, but his feet caught in the fringe of the shawl before he could get them free and before Henrietta could get out herself. One of the dark figures dropped the handle of a carriage at which it was pulling, ran back, and caught them both. It was the dirty-faced boy. Hey, Pa, he said. Here's a couple of nice chickens for Sunday dinner. In here with the money. They squawked and struggled, but he held on tight. And then the man with the black mustache came and tied their feet with string and shoved them roughly into the space under the seat of the phaeton.
I hope you're satisfied, said Henrietta. Of all the useless, good-for-nothing roosters, you're the worst. Why couldn't you keep your silly beak shut? My goodness, you certainly have got us in a nice mess now. And she went on telling just what she thought of him. But Charles was not listening. Sunday dinner, he was thinking. Sunday dinner. Me, that's traveled hundreds and thousands of miles in my time. Me, that's seen what I've seen and done what I've done. To end up a Sunday dinner. Fricasseed, probably, and eaten by perfect strangers. And he burst into tears. Music